We are in the book of Job, the book of Job, and we are going to begin reading in kind of an interesting passage. I'm going to cover a lot of scripture this morning, and I hope you don't mind. It may start off kind of like a, a Bible study in that sense, but then we're going to kind of uh, kind of do an oversight over this book, okay? But let me begin by simply saying, have you ever assumed something about somebody that was way off? I think we all have, haven't we? We, we make these assumptions. And it's just a habit. It's something that we just kind of naturally do. We don't intend to. But assumptions just kind of come naturally to our human character. It's just kind of we just make these assumptions. Now, I've learned a long time ago to be very careful with my assumptions, especially because I'm kind of extroverted. I like to talk to people, and I like to find something to talk to them about. And so I've learned the hard way that whenever um, a, a lady might be expecting, I don't comment. I don't assume, I don't say anything, I don't ask how far along you are, and you say, why do you not ask it? Because I assumed the wrong thing one time, and that messed it over. So you could be rubbing your tummy, and you could say, oh man, I can't wait till this baby comes. I still will not comment on you being pregnant, because I've assumed the wrong thing, and then they say, what baby? At the zoo, the pandas are having babies. Pray for those pandas that they will have some babies. That's, that's, that's a good thing, right? Like endangered species. There's just no coming back from that. And so we just make these assumptions. And it's amazing how we can make assumptions about people based on the way they're dressed. We make assumptions about people about the way they, they, they behave and they respond. Whenever I've worked a new job, it always bothered me because you always have those people that come up to you and they, they, they have good intentions, but they'll say, hey, watch out for so-and-so. They're a really mean person. Oh, don't talk to that person. They, they, they just don't like anybody. And what's happened is sometimes I've listened to them and what's really messed me up is I find out this person is just an awesome person. They're just misunderstood. They're just going through something. You happen to catch them on the wrong day. And so when we make these false assumptions, they can lead to these false conclusions that can not only mess up our life, mess up our day, but they also can lead to deeper, worse ramifications. And so I'm looking at the book of Job. And if you're familiar with this book of Job, especially if you're new to Christianity or you're new to studying the Bible, many of you say, I don't know the book of Job. It's the book of Job for the rest of us. And uh, uh, this book, starts out in chapter number one satan comes before god and god is talking to satan has this conversation and god says satan have you considered my servant job how he is a perfect and upright man and one that hates evil and then satan says yes i've considered him but you've got a hedge of protection about him one thing i think we should pray for our family our friends and our children is god place that hedge of protection about them you say, I pray it every time I hand them a car keys. I pray it every time they go to school. And just, we, we pray for that because the Bible is true. There is that hedge of protection. And Satan even recognized that there was this protection about Job. And Satan even said to God, said, hey, you have blessed him. You've protected him. You've protected his family. You've protected his children. You've protected his livestock and his resources. But, Satan says to God, but if you'll take your hand off and if you let me touch it, Job will curse you to your face. So God says, all right, Job, I'm going to take my hand of protection. I'm going to pull back and let's see what you want to do. And so Satan, sure enough, all 10 of Job's children die in one day. All of Job's wealth is taken from him in one day. 
all that he has is gone in one single day. And you thought you've had a rough day. And I know we've had tough days, but Job had an epically horrible day. In chapter 2, Satan comes back before God, and because Satan had made a deal with God, he said, hey, if I, if, if I take everything from him, guess what, God? Satan is going to curse you if we take everything from him. Well, guess what? Chapter 1, Job didn't curse God, did he? He didn't. In chapter 2, Satan comes back and says, now, he will curse you if you let me touch him. And God says, okay, you could do anything you want to Job, but you can't kill him. And Job even says, hey, I don't even know how I'm alive. He says, by the skin of my teeth, that's how close, he says, I am to death. And so Satan does, he comes and he touches Job. So Job is deathly ill. He is sick. Boils break out over his body. And so he leaves outside of the city and goes to the city dump, the trash heap. And he sits there with ashes on his head. He had torn his garments. And he's sitting there. And his wife comes and says, just curse God and die. But even at that moment, after all the trauma that he had been through, he still doesn't curse God and die. But Job has three friends that come and visit him. Three friends that are supposed to encourage him in chapter 2. They find Job in chapter 2. They find him outside of the city. Job was once the greatest man in the east, scripture tells us. Now they find him sitting on the city dump, just with ashes on his head, looks terrible. The Bible says that they didn't even recognize it was their friend Job. They said he was so disfigured, so looked so terrible, they could not recognize that it was him. And so they come to him. And then from chapters 3 all the way to chapter 37... These friends begin to assume that they know why Job is going through what he goes through. They assumed that Job was going through what he was going through because God was punishing Job for some secret sin. And some of you this morning, you feel like, well, I'm going through things, and I think it's because God is punishing me. Can I say this? Let's be very careful where we get our view from God from. Because many people, you'll listen to somebody and you'll get the wrong view because you assume the wrong thing about God. See, God was not punishing Job. And scripture makes that very clear in chapters 1 and chapter 2. God was actually having uh, proving a point through Job. But Job didn't understand it. So first of all, we see that Job's three friends think that Job is being punished. They keep telling Job, hey, the reason your children are dead is because they committed some sin. That's why they're gone. And Job, the reason your wealth is gone, because you're hiding some great iniquity. You're not honest. And then he has another friend that comes. Uh, There's the fourth. His name is Elihu. And I like Elihu. Elihu's the youngest of the group. He's kind of spunky, energetic. And he just kind of tells it like it is. And in chapters uh, 37, we see, we meet this guy, Elihu. And Elihu says, I think he comes out a different perspective. He says, I think, or he assumed that God was not punishing Job, but that God God was trying to prevent Job from sinning further. You say, what do you mean? Um, Some people say, don't let your children touch the stove. Stop them. And some of you, you say, no, no, no. I have a different parenting tactic. I let them touch the stove once so they'll never touch it again. That was the logic Elihu had. He said, God's trying to keep you, Job, from worse sin. So he's letting you do some bad stuff. So you'll learn not to. Well, God's going to come and show that, hey, not only were the first three friends wrong, Elihu, you're also wrong. So we see that Elihu thought, hey, God is trying to be proactive in his uh, attempt to help Job. And then Job just assumes that God's passive. 
several times, Job says, oh, that I wish I knew where God was. He said, I just wish he were here. I wish he would speak. Now we come to chapter number 38. And I just kind of did a quick overview to catch us up to chapter 38. And notice if you would, verse number one of chapter number 38. The Bible says this. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said. Now I've got to stop and make a quick commentary. It's towards the end of the book. We just have a few chapters left. Elihu has talked. The three friends have talked. Job has talked. Satan has talked. God has not said a word in 38 chapters. He hasn't said anything. But at the very end, where it seems like things are at their worst, this is a great thought. I wanted to preach this message, but I'll save it for another time. That God always has the last word. That whatever you're going through, God has the final say. He gets to say how it really is. And so now God shows up. But I love how God shows up. God doesn't just show up in a burning bush. No, he's going to do that later with Moses. God doesn't just show up and talk through a donkey. No, he's going to do that with a prophet named Balaam. God doesn't just show up and speak through a rock. He's going to do that later on. God doesn't just show up and uh, descend like a dove. He's going to do that later on. No, no. God shows up in a whirlwind. And maybe your Bible may say this, but it actually means a hurricane. So imagine all of a sudden you're on the city dump, you're on the city trash heap, and this hurricane comes down. A hurricane, if anybody of you grew up in the South or Midwest where you get hurricanes, anybody familiar with them? No, we're all California. They freak out that we have earthquakes, and out there we freak out about the hurricanes, okay? I would rather have an earthquake than a hurricane, all right? And so they imagine this huge hurricane drops down, this huge twister drops down, and it descends, and then it starts talking. Now think for a moment. I don't know if you watched the movie Twister, but those hurricanes are pretty loud. So how loud do you think God's voice had to be to be able to hear it? Pretty loud. I don't think it was like when God showed up to Elijah and whispered. I think God is shouting here. So sometimes God whispers, but sometimes God's going to shout to get your attention. So here's this hurricane, and it is whipping and wailing, and all of a sudden God shows, I'm going to have the last word, because you guys, your assumptions are so off, they're just ruining you, and they're ruining how you view me. So stop making false assumptions. And that really comes to where we're at this morning. This morning, I want to deal with assaulting our False assumptions, because many of us are making some major false assumptions, not about just the negative things that are going on, but our false assumptions about how God interacts with us, about how we are to interact with God. And so we're going to deal with those false assumptions this morning. So in verse number one, the Lord God answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, who is this that darkeneth counsel with words without knowledge? What is God saying? God is saying, hey, you have a bunch of words, but you don't have the knowledge. He's saying, in essence, hey, stop making false assumptions. Stop making false assumptions about me. You don't understand. You don't have the knowledge, but you're just saying things that you don't know about. I don't know if you've ever worked with somebody who thought they knew everything about everything, and you're trying to be nice, and finally you're just kind of like, you know what? The reality is you don't know nothing about nothing, okay? So just shut your mouth, just listen, just watch, and learn. And so God is saying to Job, not just to Job, his friends are out there. God is shouting out of this world when he's saying, hey, stop speaking because you don't have the knowledge. You don't understand. You, for, for the last 37 chapters, have been talking about me, but you have missed it. And he says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. 
See, God is going to talk in chapters 38, chapters 39, chapters 40, and chapter 41. And God is going to take them through this journey and show them that you guys have missed it because you're making these assumptions. So this morning, we're going to deal with how do we confront our assumptions. And you say, why are assumptions so dangerous? Because our assumptions, they're kind of cyclical. You say, what do you mean? You see, our assumptions, and this is beautiful, all right? You're going to have to bear with me this morning. I don't know if any of you have done this, but you've updated your software on your computer, but you didn't update the same software for your iPad, and so you bring a document over. Well, it brought it over, but guess what? I don't have notes, so we're going to preach from memory this morning. So if it doesn't come quite right, I'm just guessing, all right? So we're going to do the very best we can. So assumptions feed our attitudes. Assumptions feed our attitudes. You say, what do you mean the assumptions feed our attitudes? I need you to understand something, that the attitude that you have towards a person or towards a place or towards God, it was fed because of an assumption that you made. And our attitudes affect things around us. And some of us this morning, your attitude towards God, your attitude towards a a certain situation is because of an assumption that you made. I don't know about you, but I think oftentimes we make these false assumptions. My wife, she's so cute the way she makes these assumptions. And uh, uh, oftentimes I'll put a dish in the sink and she'll say, is somebody else going to put that dish in the dishwasher? Because I assume that the person who used the dish will put it in the dishwasher. I, I just assume. And I'm just thinking, you don't, you, you can just tell me I, you, you want me to push the dish over there, you know, and uh, uh, leave my pants on the floor. I just assume that, that the person whose pants those are, I just assume, and I'm like, those better be my pants. They can't be somebody else's. I, uh, those better be mine, all right? And I just assume that those pants are going to be put away, and so she makes these wonderful assumptions, but these assumptions feed our attitude, and some of our attitudes this morning may be a good attitude, or it may be a very negative attitude, and that may be something where you're stepping back and saying, yeah, that's, that's kind of right, because you've assumed something. I'm, I'm kind of bad at this. I don't hear so well, so I just make assumptions about what people say, or I'll try to read their facial expressions. And God bless me with a great wife, because um, I can make some really off assumptions. Somebody can walk by me and not say hi and not be very happy, and I'll think they're mad at me. And I'll tell my wife, I, I don't think they like me. I think they're upset. I think, I think, I think Isaac wants to stab me in the back. I just, I don't know what's wrong. I just think he wants to, like, murder me in my sleep. My wife, she'll come over and be like, no, no. He's just having a busy morning. He just didn't say hi. He just stop making these false assumptions. And they form my attitude towards somebody. And don't look at me judgmentally. You've done it, too. We've all done it. We make these assumptions, but these assumptions, they lead us down a path. So not only do assumptions feed our, let's say it on the screen because I don't have it in my notes, attitudes. They feed our attitudes. But not only that, I want you to see this. Assumptions, or I'm sorry, the first one was form our attitudes. The next one is assumptions. They feed our accusations. They feed our accusations. You say, what do you mean they feed my accusations? If you go back and you study exactly all the things that not only did uh, Job's friends say about God, but the things Job said about God. God, you are absent. God, you don't care. God, you're not here. God, you're not involved. God, you're not present. Why would Job make such an off assumption? Because you and I, long before we condemn God or question God, we have these assumptions about God. We make these false assumptions. Let's go back in the Garden of Eden. Eve, before she ever 
doubted. Before she ever got to that point, she just began to what? She questioned. She made a false assumption about how God would treat her. She said that, hey, I can't eat or touch this fruit lest we die. God didn't say don't touch it. God said don't eat it. But she made these false assumptions that were off, and she ended up denying God because of them. So I want you to see that your assumptions, first of all, they'll affect your attitude. Next, they'll affect your accusations, the things that you say. Because trust me, in your home and around your coworkers, you don't just go in there and just start saying the wrong things. You first start by, it starts with an attitude. And that attitude then begins to manifest itself in your accusations. And so what happens is we see people who start making these horrible accusations. But then here's where we're going to kind of park it this morning. And here's where we're going to spend the majority of our time. But our assumptions fuel our actions. Our assumptions fuel our actions. Take your Bible with me, and would you go to chapter number 41? So God comes, and God's going to set the record straight for the man Job. And here's how Job responds. Now, throughout the book of Job, Job has been broken down. Job has been discouraged. Job has been defeated. But here in chapter 41, or excuse me, yes, chapter 41, 42, I need you to see Job's response. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me, which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear. He had heard, so he made an assumption based on what he heard. But then he follows it up by saying, hey, but my assumption was wrong. And he says, now I've seen you. And he says, wherefore I abhor myself and I repent in dust and ashes. But did you catch what he said? He said in verse number four, here I beseech you that I will speak. I will demand of thee and declare unto me. But the previous verse says, he, who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not. He said, I'm sorry, God. I realize now that I made a false assumption about my situation, and it was based on how I felt towards you. So this morning, I want to bring us to a point where how are you looking at your situation? Because I honestly, we said this, we talked about our perspective. It's under attack, so we need to have the right perspective. So we need to understand how things are supposed to be. So we see at this verse, Job even says, hey, my assumptions were off. I see that. I see that I was wrong now. I see that I needed to change. I see that things needed to be differently. And so he comes to this point where he's repenting. And so this morning, our goal, our attitude needs to be, God, how is my assumptions this morning? Who am I letting influence my assumptions? Are my assumptions the right assumptions or are they the wrong assumptions? Are my assumptions leading me down a path that's drawing me closer to you or are they taking me somewhere that's away from you? Because I need to have the correct, the right assumptions. And I want to tackle three assumptions this morning. First of all, these three assumptions, I think they play out so well in your life and in my life. I first want to see, if we'll put it up on there on the screen because I don't have it on my notes. I put it up there. What's the first assumption, please? It's the apathetic assumption. You say, what do you mean, the apathetic assumption? This is where we say, you know what, God? You're letting me go through all this. That's because you just don't care about me anymore. 
It's because, God, you've just abandoned me. You've just neglected me. You have just left me here in this situation, and you just don't care anymore. You've just kind of left me. And so, so many times, we start to feel this way. We start to feel that God is just apathetic towards my situation, that God cares about everybody else in the church. God cares about everybody else in the world, but God is neglecting me. God doesn't care about me. God doesn't take notice of me. God doesn't want me to be doing well. And so we can look at our life and think God is just apathetic towards me. That everybody else he loves, everybody else he cares about. But the thing is, here's what's so amazing about God that you need to understand. God knows everything about you. Everything. There is no secret that God does not know. There is no sin that you have committed that God is not aware of. There is no good deed that hasn't gone past God's eye. There is nothing that you have ever said that God did not hear. There is nothing that you ever did that God did not see. There is nothing you ever thought that God did not take knowledge of. Everything that you have ever done, God knows. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows you better than your spouse knows you. He knows you better than your best friend knows you. And guess what? He still loves you. And that blows my mind. That God knows every little dirty secret I have. God knows everything I've tried to hide. Everything I've tried to sweep under the rug. Everything that I've tried to put up a good front. Everything I've tried to cover up from. There God still says, guess what? I still love you. In spite of all of that, I still love you. I still care about you. I'm doing something in your life that you may not understand now. But I am working through this situation. And so we see that God's care, he's not apathetic. He's not distant. He's not one to just give up. Matter of fact, God waits. He waits to the very end to show you how he's going to bless you to come back into your life. And he's going to prove himself strong. And he proves how detailed he is because he starts talking about creation. He said, what's the big deal? Why would God talk about creation? Because here's what he's trying to say. He even asks this amazing question. He says, where were you when I formed the foundations of the earth? Declare that thou hast understanding. And he says, who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? What's he talking about? He's saying, hey, I built every little atom, every molecule, every tree, every branch, every animal. I did all of it to the last detail. And he asked Job, hey, where were you when I did all that? He's trying to bring Job to a point. He's saying, Job, if I care that much about the smallest little detail, that's how much I care about you. I care about the little minute facets of your life. I care about the things that seem vain and mundane. You see, you need to understand that God didn't make you so he could mess your life up. He's not making you, oh, I just need somebody's life so I could just mess up. I just kind of got to get that out. You know, I'm just kind of frustrated. So I got I to show my frustration. God is not showing how apathetic he is towards your life. He is not distant. Matter of fact, the Bible says that God is omnipresent. He's omniscient. God is here. He's here now. We talked about this. But here's the thing. God's presence is there. The psalmist even said, the psalmist said, hey, oh, that I could take the wings of the morning and just fly away. You see, what's the picture? David was saying, I just want to leave this situation. I just want to get out of this. And some of you have felt like that. Like, I just want to leave this place. But then David says this. He says, if I take the wings of the morning, behold, you're there. He even goes a step further. He says, God, if I make my bed in hell, if that were possible, he said, God, you would be there too. He said, if I were to go to the depths of the ocean, even there would your spirit be with me. He's saying, God, wherever I am, there you are. You see, wherever you go, there God is. You take God everywhere with you. God is always there. He's always near. He's always present. He's not apathetic. The problem is, we're just not aware of it. You see, here's the thing. 
You can have God's presence, but still not be living with God's peace. Because God says, I'm omnipresent. I'm everywhere. And the reason you think God is apathetic is because you don't feel God's peace in your heart. But here's the thing. You're saying, God, where's the peace? And God's saying, did you ask for it? It's available. It's one of the things he promises for us as believers. But you and I just kind of assume that, hey, since God's here, he'll take the check. Since God's here, he knows what I'm going through. But God is trying to create not independence, but dependence from the life of his believers. So he is trying to get you to a point where you say, yes, I am going, I'm leaving. And God, I understand as I go out here that you're with me. But God says, hey, now ask for my peace in your heart in the middle of this situation. You're going through a hard time. You're going through difficulties. And you're wondering, God, where are you? And God's saying, I'm right here. Just ask me. I can do this for you. I can do this. I can help you. Matter of fact, here's what I don't think we understand. God wants to do miracles in your life. God wants to do the impossible. God loves to show off. We've all met the show off who just can't wait to show off. I mean, you step into their home. The first thing they want to take you to is their trophy counter. And you're like, I've been here 10 times, Bob. I really don't need to see the trophies again. Oh, and then after we see the trophies, let's all watch all my highlight videos. You're like, no, 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 please. I would rather stab my eyes with pencils. You know, no, no, no. I would rather watch a cat video, and I hate cats. You know, there's just so many things I would much rather do. But here's this person who just loves to show off how great they were. God is saying, I want to do some great things in your life. I want to do some miracles. I want to show myself strong on your behalf. I want to do the impossible in your life. Why? To show you that I really do care. So for you to sit back this morning and think God just apathetic, just doesn't care. No, you're not practicing the presence of God, which when we practice his presence, we experience his peace in our heart. And that's what God wants for you. He says, there is a peace that passes understanding. There is a peace where you could be going through the worst trial of your life, but yet you were calm. Job discovers that peace in chapter 42, long before God ever multiplies his wealth, long before God ever sends his, gives him more children or gives him wealth. And here he is, he's saying, hey, I got to confront this assumption, the false assumption that God does not care. You show me one page where God says, hey, I just don't care. I just want oops. I meant to say this last week, but I taught it in a small group a couple weeks ago. There was never one person that God ever turned his back on in scripture except for Jesus Christ. There's not been one human being that has ever walked the face of the earth that God says, I abandon you, I don't care about you, I don't love you, and I turn my back on. It was only the man, Jesus Christ. You say, how do we know that? Because the Bible says that God turned his back and the earth literally groaned, that the sun was darkened, rocks split in half. The earth groaned because God, for the very first time in human history, turned his back on one human being, and that was the man, Christ Jesus, who took our sin, our punishment on the cross, and he hung there for you, for me, and took that pain. And God said, I have to abandon in him and all of earth shook under that so don't tell me that god is apathetic to your situation don't tell me that god has abandoned you in this time no he is closer now than you've ever ever could possibly imagine you say why because the bible says that god is nigh unto them who are of a broken heart he says i am close to you so if you're going through something you have god closer to you than at any other time of your life Come on, what parent, when their children gets hurt, says, ah, you're fine. The child's like bleeding out. No, they're just like, oh, you'll be fine. Walk it off. No. You immediately go to the need of that child. All the mothers in here, you've been on a playground, on a play date, and all of a sudden, you can tell the different screams and different cries. I don't know how you mothers do it, but you just, you just know when it's your child, and you know the type of scream. 
I've been sitting with Jane, and we've been sitting there, and I want to get up to go to Megan and Austin. And she's like, no, no, that's a whiny scream. That's a, I need a nap scream. That's not a, I'm in pain or, or something like that. Or other times, there's been, I'm wanting to get up from the table and go check on Megan and Austin. And Jane will be like, no, 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 they're fighting over a toy. That's what that scream is. That's, that's not a real, I'm in pain. It's their fighting scream. She's got these screams down. You parents just kind of know when your child's in pain. You know when, hey, wait, no, something's wrong. That scream, that means something's wrong. And you rush to their side. God knows when you're experiencing that pain. And he says, I am near and I am close. I am not apathetic. So we need to confront the false assumptions that God is apathetic. Not only that, that God is apathetic. But let's also confront the assumption about God's ability. Because many times that's where we also struggle with. That God, are you able? God, are you really strong enough? Because Job, for all these chapters, he's saying, God, where are you? God, you blessed me. You multiplied me. You gave me all these wonderful things. But God, have you just not able anymore? Did something happen? Did the mojo run out? Is there nothing left? I mean, does God have a kryptonite? I mean, is there something where there is a limit to your power? What's happened here? God, I'm in, a, I'm in a bad fix. I'm in a bad way. And I really need you in this situation. And so sometimes what happens, do we begin to start making these assumptions that maybe God is, did create the world, but then he's just kind of hands off the world now. And maybe he's just kind of like, like we look down at an anthill and just kind of look at them and just think, oh, okay, they're doing their own little thing, not going to get involved. Maybe that's how God views us as humans. Just looking down at little ants, just kind of, whatever, okay, you can you do that. There's garden hose that's going to be turned on. You guys are going to be flooded. And just, we just kind of let it go. Is that, is that what God is doing? No, God, God's ability hasn't shortened because God says, not only am I omnipresent, he even begins to talk about, and I, I love the imagery that he uses. In these chapters, there's a lot of debate about who these creatures are. He starts talking about Leviathan. And there's lots of debate on what the Leviathan is. He starts talking about these other creatures. And he says, hey, who can draw out the Leviathan with a fish hook? Leviathan, all as we know this, it was a mean big fish. Go watch Sharp Week and you'll kind of get the picture of a big mean fish or sea monster, whatever it is. And God says, hey, are you able, Job, to draw out Leviathan with your little fishing rod? Are you able to do that? Can you do that? And God says, I can take care of it. We don't know what this creature was, what this beast was. And I, some people say, it's dinosaurs, dinosaurs in the Bible. I don't know. If you want to debate that, then uh, here's the email. at C. Tenemora at Southridge San Jose. You talk to him. He'll love to sit down and have coffee with you and debate that all night long. He just, great for that stuff. But understand that here, God is making a point. He's saying, hey, I can subdue him. You can't, but I can. Why? Because I created him. My ability is not shortened. I can take care of this Leviathan. But then I've often thought, and I've said it before and I'll say it again. The problem that I face, and I don't know if you can relate, is I don't always doubt God's ability. I doubt my ability. And I read the parables where it talks about the five talents and the two talents and the one talent. And then I think, God, I think I'm the one talent or the two talent guy. Not the five talent. And I look at other people and I'm like, wow, look at, look at that church. There's thousands. They must be the five talent. Or God, look at that person. They're so good with their family. They must be a five-talent dad. They must be a five-talent business owner. They must be a, a five-talent Christian. And I'm just over here with my, my one or, or my two talents. But the thing that we miss about these parables is the fact that God doesn't say we can't grow in our talents. We kind of just assume that this is what we have. And if you read the talents in Luke chapter, I believe, 7, as you read the parable of the talents, you see that they multiplied their talents. 
Oftentimes, people tell me, I'm just, I'm just being faithful with what God has given me. But if you study out that, ta- that, that parable, you see that God equates, equates faithfulness with multiplication. That faithfulness isn't just saying, hey, I've got my one talent. I'm just going to kind of hang on to it. No, it's how you develop that talent. So here's what's amazing. We as human beings have the ability to grow our abilities. You say, I'm not the best husband that I should be. Guess what? Praise God. You can grow in your ability to be a better husband. You can read books. You can go to seminars. There are things that you can grow in. You say, I'm not a very good Christian. Well, praise God. You can grow in your ability to get closer to God, to, to love God more, to be filled with his presence, to be filled with his peace. That's something that you can grow in. Don't look at your ability and say, that's the reason why I'm not growing. That's the reason why I'm going through what I'm going through. Because God is saying, hey, no, I created you with a unique capacity to grow in your ability. Come on, we watched the sports teams, and we've heard, and they'll talk about a quarterback, or they'll talk about a linebacker, or they'll talk about some golf expert. And um, back before even Tiger Woods had his big scandal, back when he was at the top of his game, before he just had this power drive that his coaches would tell him, look, that's great, you're young now, but one day you're going to have to change that. And so he took season off, and he came back, and they were really worried. How did his swing, because he changed up his swing, changed everything up. And for a golfer, that's very difficult. And they saw his new swing, and it was even better than the first swing because why he worked at it. So you and I as Christians say, hey, I don't know where I'm at as far as his talents. I don't know if I have the ability. And God is saying, hey, you've got all the ability, but you need to grow that ability. So we need to confront that assumption that, hey, I'm just stuck with what I have. No, God is saying, I want to use that ability. But here's the third and final assumption. And this is where we come to the point where Job came to, where we start making accurate assumptions. Because that's what we need to get to as Christians. Where the assumptions we make about God and about ourselves are accurate. Because I meet too many Christians who are making false assumptions about themselves and about God. We make assumptions like, I'm so stupid. I'm such a failure. And God's saying, no, 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 you are significant. You are chosen. You are blessed. I have put you there for this time, this season. You have destiny in your heart. You have purpose in your life. There's a reason for this. And instead, we step back and we start quoting the lines that were from the devil that were useless, that God doesn't want us, that God's neglected us. So we need to confront those false assumptions, but then we need to turn the corner and make an accurate assumption, which is what Job made. Did you catch it in chapter 42? He says this, then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything. Everything. He's saying, hey, I know you're omnipresent. I know you're omniscient. I know you're all powerful. He's once again getting back to making these bold declarations, not just wrong assumptions. So you and I need to come get back to the point where we make accurate assumptions about God, not incorrect assumptions. Because too often I see people, they make these assumptions that are wrong. You say, what do you mean, these false assumptions? And I've got to go to the book of uh, 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 New Testament writer. Would you turn your Bibles, if you have it, to 2 Corinthians chapter number 12? 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. You say, why? Why are we going to go to the New Testament? Because there's a character who I think, outside of Jesus Christ in the New Testament, suffering, there was nobody that I think suffered more than the Apostle Paul. Three times was he beaten, save 40 lashes. You say, what do you mean, save 40? So they weren't allowed to beat you with a whip more than 40 times. So these whips that they would beat them with would leave these horrible wounds, these horrible scars. And so the Apostle Paul would have these. So three times, so imagine that. That's just not 40 
scars on your back. That's just not 80. Here he would have easily had 120 different scars on his back from a Roman whip. Not only that, but this man had also been shipwrecked twice. Not only that, this man had also been bitten by a deadly snake, but he didn't die. Here's a person that has suffered incredible pain. He had been beaten and left for dead and he gets up after being left for dead because they stoned him. You say, how did they stone you? What they would do when we were in the, uh, the Holy Land, they would first of all push you off a cliff and they would hope the fall would kill you. And if the fall didn't kill you, then they would take stones and throw them down on top of you, on top from that cliff, because the fall didn't kill you. Then the stones would, and they thought Paul died right then and there. But the Bible says that Paul gets up, and then he makes a journey to the city of Derby, and he goes there and gets Timothy. You want to talk about just like, hey, I mean, he's a big, bad mamma jamma. I wouldn't want to mess with him. The apostle Paul just gets up and keeps going, just kind of wipes off the blood, wipes off the bruise, and just kind of keeps going. That is the Apostle Paul. That is a person who had suffered immensely. But I want you to see what he says and the statements that he makes. So if you don't have this scripture open, I should have put it on the screen, but you could find it on your version Bible app or in your Bible tool. But go to 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. Notice this beginning in verse number 6. He says, for though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. I love that line. There was given. Given. I don't know about you, but when I go through a broken arm or if I go through a car accident, I don't immediately say, oh, God, thank you for that gift of a car wreck. Oh, God, thank you for that gift of disease. Oh, God, thank you for that gift of a broken arm. Oh, God, thank you for that gift. But that's the exact language the Apostle Paul is using. He's saying, I'm looking back on my life, and I'm looking back on what God is doing to me, and I see it as a gift because you and I oftentimes don't see the purpose in the pain. We don't see that God is going to take that, and God is going to use exactly what the enemy meant to sabotage us. Instead, we're going to flip it on its head. Instead, we're going to take what God, what Satan has sent, and instead of having the wrong assumption, we're going to get an accurate assumption and say, God is going to use this. So the Apostle Paul says, hey, I thank God for this, but let's continue reading. He says, I thank God for this thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Here the Apostle Paul makes an incredible statement. He says, even in the midst of this suffering, even in the midst of this pain, there was this thorn, but I see that this thorn is meant to take me to the throne. How do you look at your problems? How do you look at your thorns? Where do they take you? He said, I get depressed, I get discouraged, I get angry, I get mad, I get frustrated with it. And instead of being thankful for it, instead of being grateful for it, I get upset and I get ticked off and I get miffed and I'm angry at God for it instead of having the right attitude. And this morning I want to challenge you, I want to encourage you that this morning, can we look at our problems differently? Can we drop the false assumptions? Because I need you to understand something. What you're going through is by divine design. That it's no accident 
And God is not trying to destroy you. What you are going through is divine. It's designed by God. It was custom tailored to you and to you alone. And I know you may feel like I don't want this. I wish somebody else had this. But God is saying, I've given it to you. It is a gift that's going to change your life and the lives of those around you. And if we could turn the corner this morning, if we could now instead of taking these false assumptions, just think God hates me, God is cursing me, God is not helping me, that God is my enemy. Instead, this morning, we would confront those false assumptions, that we'd get accurate assumptions, that we'd once again, like the Apostle Paul, say, hey, this is a gift. God is going to do something through this. And we change our mentality. We need a, we need to modify our mindset this morning. There's something that needs to change as we look at this, because I'm tired of going to a church where we're just down, woe is me, poor is me, life stinks, life is never going to work out. And instead, we go to the book of Romans chapter number eight, verse number 31, where it says, we are more than conquerors through him, through Jesus Christ, not through our own selves, not through our brokenness, but through his victorious death on the cross. That's where we find our strength. That's where we become conquerors. Instead of walking around as weak Christians, instead we say, wait a minute, God has given us a power. God has given us strength that we're going to walk in that. I know we may walk with a limp. I know we may walk with a tear in our eye. I know we may walk with a burden. But God is saying, hey, I'm going to do something through this difficulty. I'm going to do something great. As we confront these false assumptions, but too often we don't confront these assumptions. We just kind of let them swirl around in our head. And you think you can just hide it. But the reality is your assumptions are forming your attitude. And your attitude is forming your accusations. And your accusations are eventually going to form your actions. See, it's that process. You say, how does somebody just leave church? It didn't start one day they woke up and just said, I'm done with God. It didn't just start one day. Why did they just left their husband? Just didn't start one day. There was this process that happened. And it starts with a false assumption. So if you, this morning, your view of God is wrong, your rest of your life is going to be skewed. It's going to be slightly off. I don't know about you, but when you put on glasses, and I put on um, my wife's glasses, and um, I'll put them on. I'm just like, oh, hey, baby, I can't see a thing. You know, I just, this is just not, I can't do this. And for some of you, that's how you're trying to see God. You're trying to put on a pair of lenses that weren't made for you. And you're like, everything seems blurry. Everything seems out of place because they weren't custom tailored designed for you. And so your vision is skewed. How you see your problem is skewed. How you see all of life is skewed. But until you take those off and say, God, give me that HD 1080p vision. Clear this vision. Help me to see what you want me to see. And that's what Job said. Job said, hey, I heard of you, but now I'm seeing you in a different light, in a different way. And it's changing everything in my life. But it starts with those assumptions, those false assumptions. You see, we make assumptions not only about people, but I think far worse than the assumptions we make about people is the assumptions we make about God. And God is saying, hey, you think that I can't use your suffering, and you think your suffering is hindering you, but I want you to see that it's your suffering that is the greatest thing about you. And that's so... I mean, that just goes against everything we feel and think. I mean, nowhere else does that work in life. Where the thing that you are the most fearful about, the most insecure about, God says, that thing, that thing, and we all have that thing. We all have that thing where we're just like, I wish nobody knew. I'm trying to cover it up. I was talking to a guy the other day, 
And he said it's really hard for him to talk to people. And we were just talking a little bit, and he was like, you know, I just feel like I can talk to you. And it's kind of funny. They don't know I'm a pastor, but they're just like, I don't know what it is. Something about you. I just feel like I can talk to you. I'm just going to talk to you. And um, I just need you to understand that everywhere you go, you're a missionary. Everywhere you go. And so I just looked for these moments, and he was just like, you know, I grew up, and um, I was deaf. I, I couldn't talk until I was after, t- after 12 years old. And he said, I know sign language and everything, and I just listened to him. And he saw me kind of smiling. And he was like, why are you smiling? And I said, you don't know this, but I can't hear out of my right ear. You don't know this, but for five years I worked at a camp for deaf people. He says, you don't know this, but God has taught me to learn sign language as well. I know exactly how you feel. And he just stopped. And he was like, whoa, that's heavy, man. And he's kind of a a different kind of dude. He's like, that's heavy. He's like, Maybe I shouldn't have smoked that last night. Maybe I shouldn't have, shouldn't have had that. You know, that is heavy. Because he was like, you know, right now I'm living in my car and I work two jobs and I, I go to the gym to get a shower. And he's like, I just, I was just praying. I was like, God, you just got to give me a sign. Like, I don't know what to do right now. And I just, I just don't know. And he's like, all of a sudden I'm meeting you and I'm talking to you. He's like, I think, I think God's trying to, trying to tell me something. It would have been very easy for me to say, God, how come I can't hear? You want to talk about awkward situations? Awkward situations happen when you th- guess what somebody said, when you try to interpret what somebody said, when you try to read their lips because you can't hear them, and all of a sudden it'd be very easy to say, yeah, yeah, I've got a hearing, a hearing thing. I don't hear so well, and, and so that affects other areas of my life, and it'd be easy to just kind of cover that up instead when we're able to say, hey, I have that same weakness too. Hey, you too, me too. You struggle, I struggle, and all of a sudden, guess what? That test turns into a testimony. It becomes a story for God's glory. So what you're looking at your life is you're thinking, this is the worst thing about me. This is the thing I don't want anybody else to know. God is saying, hey, can I use that thing? Can I take that painful memory? Can I take that thing about you that you think is the worst thing? And I want to turn that thing around. What I call, it's like reverse sabotaging the devil. You say, what do you mean? Don't you think Satan regretted ever messing with Job? Because I do. You say, why? Because then God blessed him double, the Bible says. God blessed him double. God went back and gave him back his children. God gave him back his wealth. God gave him back his livestock. And I think Satan was just like, God, you tricked me. God just kind of smiles like, you don't mess with God. I'm God, man. You just don't mess with me. You don't mess with my children. I'll take care of them. And so you and I, we need to take that thing that we think, man, God, you could never use this. And God's saying, that's exactly what I'm going to use. God, look what I did in my past. And God says, don't worry, I can redeem that. Let me recycle that. God, I made that mistake. And I, and I went and made that thing. And I did that. And God's saying, I'm going to use it. It's okay. I'm going to use that. There's a story I once heard, and I don't know how true it is, and so this is always one of those, don't, don't go on Wikipedia or anything like that. Don't, don't get on the internet and look it up, but there's a story I heard about a person. He, he was missing his left arm, and he was just real insecure. And the parents thought, what can we do to help his you know, self-esteem? So they said, let's put, him in, let's put him in martial arts. And you'd say, no, what were they thinking? Well, they put him in martial arts, and... Um, He would go there, and the instructor would tell him, hey, I want you to practice this one move, just over and over, day in and day out. He would just practice this one move, same move, over and over and over, the same move. And uh, he he didn't know why all the other kids were learning kicks, and they're doing all these other moves. They're on the floor. And he just did this one move over and over. Every time he came, it was the same move. And he's like, getting frustrated. One day, the instructor comes to him and says, hey, there's going to be this tournament, and I want you to go to the tournament. And he's thinking, you just don't like me? You just hate me? why would you want me to go to this tournament? I don't know any of the other moves that any of the other kids had know. 
And the instructor says, just, just go to the tournament. It'll be all right. So he decides, I'm going to go to the tournament. And he goes. And he gets in his first match. And he's just thinking, this is going to be embarrassing. This is going to be horrible. And all of a sudden, he goes in the fight in the tournament. And the first round, he wins. And he's like, how in the world am I winning? And he goes on in the second match. And he wins again. And he's like, this is. And now he's like, the coach paid him off. I see what he did. He's a bookie. He's dealing. He's telling him, hey, just, just, just fake it. Just take a dive. All right, just, just, oh, I got hit. You know, the guy didn't do anything and just, just bow out. You know, he's thinking that's what happened. But then he starts winning. And he's looking at the bracket. And he's making it to the finals. And he keeps going and keeps going. And finally, he's at the very last round. And he's like, I can't believe this. And he wins the entire tournament. He goes back to his structure. And he says, what was that all about? How did that happen? The instructor says, you want to know why you won? Because the one move I taught you, the only way to stop it is by grabbing your left arm. And you don't have one. There's no way to stop it. You think that God can't use that thing about you. And God's saying, you're unstoppable because of that thing. And if you will let that thing humble you, and if you will let that thing become the greatest thing about you, God says we will be unstoppable. We will do something that will change the world. And we as a church don't have to come to church thinking, I've got it all together and I'm perfect. And this. If we would be humble, and humility is the pastry that tastes nasty, but if we will eat it, and we will say, you know what, I'm going to take what God has given me, God says, hey, we will do great things. But if we are going to continue to act and posture ourselves, and to think that we have it all together, and continue to make our false assumptions, then guess what? Eventually our actions will be wrong, and we can only play the lie for so long. God wants us to walk in humility. God wants us to walk in integrity, and that comes when we are open and honest before God. What was Adam and Eve's greatest crime that they committed? Was it eating the fruit? Yes, but what did they do after that? They tried to sow fig leaves to hide themselves, to cover themselves. And then God plays the ultimate hide-and-seek game. Adam, where are you? It's like playing hide-and-go-seek with a two-year-old, and they're hiding behind the curtains. You can hear them giggling. You can see their toes wiggling. And God's just like, really, guys? Are we going to play hide-and-go-seek? Okay. And God pulls back, and God says, why are you covering yourselves? Why are you trying to cover that up? I think some of us were trying to sew together some fig leaves to cover things up about ourselves. But God is saying, you don't have to do that. I put that part of you in there. When I was designing you, when I was creating you, I knew that was going to be a part of your story. Satan didn't put that there. Satan is sometimes the messenger, but God is the one who gives the message. Satan has no power over the message. So we need this morning... We need to say, all right, what assumptions am I making that are false?